Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. Hi, everyone. It's Beth and Sarah. Thanks for joining us for our third episode of Pantsuit Politics. We have a packed agenda this week, so we'll get right to it with the pearls, which is our spotlight on recent news items. And we have breaking news at the time that we're recording this, Sarah. Bobby Jindal has dropped out of the presidential race. Um, Game-changing moment, I'm sure, from your perspective. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Is that an official? That's my official reaction. I'm going to go. I mean, I'm... Yeah, one one da- one down. How many left? Lots to go. Um, he, you know, he came out swinging in that last undercard debate, and I think he just could never find his breakout moment. And I'm happy that he recognized it, so that we can move on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of Republican debates, at that last one, there was a question one of the moderators posed um, to all the candidates. And he, he talked about the importance of working across the aisle and ask each candidate to name one single Democrat they respect. And I was so disappointed that none of the candidates would answer that question. Like, I thought that was a good question. Um, and so, 
you know, in the spirit of pantsuit politics, we thought it might make sense to add a bipartisan pearl to our discussion and spend a quick minute on one person or idea from the opposite side of the ideological spectrum who we respect. So Sarah, do you want to start us off there? I'll start and I'll start with my classic response. And I I promise to branch out um, beyond this person as the weeks go by. But man, I love me some Olympia Snow. Do you? I do. I think she has such dignity and she's so smart. And, you know, she's the kind of conservative I really respect. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody would classify Olympia Snow as an ideologue. Right. So um, definitely starting out strong with Olympia Snow. That's my pick. I think I have a similar answer because I always start with Dianne Feinstein. Oh, yeah. Like, even where I don't agree with her, um, what a serious, thoughtful leader she Mm -hmm. is. And she is not afraid to dive right into the toughest issues. I think she shows tremendous courage in some of her foreign policy work, particularly. Um, So Dianne Feinstein is definitely someone I admire. And I'm embarrassed to say that until that, the fictionalized movie, it was, was it a, yeah, it was a fictionalized account of Harvey Milk's um, life. I had no idea what role she played in that whole situation. Did you know this? I did not. And I mean, I, don't you feel like her life needs to be its own yeah. movie eventually? Yeah, somebody needs to get on that. If they really do. Yeah, whoever's listening, we're waiting for the Feinstein biopic. Somebody make that happen. Hey, Republican candidates, see how not hard that was? It not was hard. not hard at all. Not hard. Although, was it a coincidence that we picked women? Probably. I, you know, I was just thinking that. I'm sure our male listeners are like, yawn, please come up with a man. We'll do men sometime, We'll do men. Though, for we'll do sure. Men. Yeah, we'll do men. Okay, so moving on to um, a little bit more serious topic. Um, we, we, of course, in today's main segment, The Suit, have to talk about the attacks on Paris and what's going on in the world. And just to set that up, we thought we would do a quick recap of, of what's been happening, because as some people are quick to point out, you know, Paris is the third in recent attacks, even though it's gotten the most press, it certainly isn't the only thing that's happened lately. So just briefly, on October 31st, a Russian plane flying from an Egyptian resort city to St. Petersburg went down. All 224 passengers on that flight were killed. And um, there's been some reluctance to say exactly what happened because so many countries are involved in the investigation. But today, most officials are saying that it was 99.9% certain to be to have been a bomb. And the intelligence chatter leads folks to conclude that ISIS is likely behind this bombing. Then last Thursday in Beirut, two suicide bombs were detonated in a Shiite neighborhood. Uh, This neighborhood is a Hezbollah stronghold, and 43 people were killed by those suicide bombers. Um, Again, most officials believe that this was an ISIS attack, and ISIS has taken credit for it. And then, of course, on Friday, uh, we had just the eruption of terror in Paris, where 129 people were killed. 
at bars, restaurants, a concert hall, and a soccer stadium. And as we know, ISIS has taken credit for that, and the French president, Francois Hollande, um, has declared this to be an act of war. And so we'll transition from that to our segment, The Suit, where we dive into this topic a little bit more. So, Sarah, um, I thought it might make sense for us to take a step back because as much as we all like get the social media view of what happened in Paris, um, it's it's complex in a way that I think is more than just, hey, some terrorists hit Paris. And can I just say, too, that I am um, I've been a little frustrated by the social media aspect of the reaction to the terror attacks in Paris. I feel really upset that I've been, um, I feel like there's this, this, this undercurrent of, well, it's almost like you don't get a right to be sad about Paris. You don't live, it's either you don't live there or all these atrocities happened in other places. I even read this, the and people, you know, complaining about the French flag overlay that Facebook offered up. And in one of the articles, they said, well, there needs to be, we need to mourn equally as if that's a thing, as if we have this mourning tokens and we can pass them out one at a time. And I just feel um, you know, I was totally sickened when I realized what was happening in Paris. I was at a restaurant at Paducah and I f- forced the bartender to turn on CNN and I was totally terrorized and nauseous and sick. And it's not that I don't, um, feel so upset and traumatized about other atrocities in the world, but I just feel like, I don't think there's any shame in saying that the scale of this attack was really terrorizing and the fact that it went on for a while the fact that uh president Hollande was at the soccer stadium where the suicide bombers went off that's a big deal you know that is a really big deal that's not to downplay other bombings and the other people who lost their lives but i feel like there was this kind of oh people just care because it's paris or i don't even really know like why is there is there a wrong way to grieve is there a wrong way to react to an event like this i mean it's all very complicated i understand but i I got really frustrated i felt like with some of the social media chatter surrounding the paris attacks especially initially it is kind of weird i think how people want to um take a position on other people's reaction to crisis. Yeah. It's it's sort of like, you know, Facebook especially sets up the situation where, like, I think we all feel like we're press secretaries or something. Like, it always <laughs> amazes me how it's like everyone has to issue a statement yeah. on every event, um, which has kind of made me drop out of that whole thing because because just watching it from other people, I think... Like, maybe the world doesn't need a statement from me on this particular yeah. moment. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like if you're personally, inv- like, I don't th- I don't feel shamed because I'm personally invested in Paris because I, I've been there and I've never been to Lebanon. You know, like, I also was, I am very personally invested in Tunisia because I've been there. I've traveled there. And I think that that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, like, I don't under, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I feel this on a deeper level because I have a personal 
connection to that place. Like, that's not the yeah. I, I don't even think you have to justify it in that way. I mean, Paris is in just way of life, something that most Americans can relate to mm-hmm. more than what's happening in the Middle East. And I'm sorry that that's the fact, but bombs going off in concert halls and, st- you know, sports stadiums and bars, we just, that resonates with us, right? Mm-hmm. That's our lifestyle here. And it's scary. And, and, I think it's I think it's perfectly fine to mourn that. I get a little bit overwhelmed with what feels like the bandwagon approach sometimes. You know, I I see like everybody's profile picture changes and mm-hmm. I don't know. There there is a point where I think are all these people really personally invested in this or and like are some of these folks the same people who were all like freedom fries anti-France <laughs> at some point. You know, so so there there are parts of me that prickle a little bit at what feels like the sheep-like effect of some of these things and sort of like people just wanting to participate in crisis, mm-hmm. even if they don't really have any clue what's going well, on. Well, I've been, I've, I'm on record as how I feel about tragedy trolls, so. That's right. And, and I mean, nonetheless, I, I try to come back to, it is good in moments like this to have shared humanity Mm -hmm. in whatever form that takes. And I think the least productive thing we can do is judge whether other people have a right to respond emotionally Mm -hmm. to a tragedy. Well, and I will say that, um, to speak to your, the point you were, um, continuing to that this ISIS has grown largely and, um, under agreement from most foreign policy experts out of the Syrian civil war, which is something you and I discussed, um, I guess it was two years ago in 2013, um, when President Assad used chemical weapons against his own people, and you and I both posted on this. So um, what did you want to add about mm-hmm. rewinding to really, it didn't, everything didn't start in Paris, that I think we can all agree on. I think that's right. Everything didn't start in Paris. And it's important to understand the context because in our uh, reaction to the Paris tragedy and also in President Hollande's approach, um, we need to understand where this originated and why we have um, some serious issues to consider about our partnership or lack thereof with Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Syrian civil war has been going on for several years under Bashar al-Assad. Um, as Sarah mentioned, he has tortured the Syrian people. Um, this precipitated the refugee crisis that we're seeing now. I will interject to say um, that I looked at the current tallies. It's a number that's so hard to comprehend, but... Um, the United Nations estimates that somewhere um, between 150,000 to 200,000 Syrian citizens have lost their life in the war already. And it's important to understand that the refugee crisis comes from this civil war, not Mm -hmm. from ISIS. Mm -hmm. So I think in some ways ISIS has just come in and exploited the situation. Um, That may be an oversimplification, but Certainly, um, Assad is at the root of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so, so as Sarah mentioned, we sort of debated uh, before we had even had the, the notion of pantsuit politics. We debated on her blog um, about whether the United States should intervene in that civil war. And um, 
I took the position at the time that the United States should not, because I felt like, and I still feel this way to some extent, we don't understand the Middle East enough to successfully bring our military power to that region. I feel like there are racial and ethnic and religious and socioeconomic issues that are, are, you know, hundreds of years old. Um, and as much as we've studied those issues, well, I'm not sure that everyone who tries to make decisions about that region has studied those issues, but even those who have, it is just hopelessly complex. And my point was, if, if more violence would solve the violence in the Middle East, the Middle East would be good now yeah, because, so. because there has been so much violence in that area. Um, Sarah had a different feeling about it. Mm-hmm. I posted that. Mm, I mean, I think basically it's incredible. My, my perspective was as a mother, I don't think we should interfere because I'm fearful for my own children. As a mother, it's very hard for me to see the suffering of other mother and children and not say, if it was me, if I was Syrian, I would want somebody to come to our aid. If I was a Syrian mother and chemical weapons were being used against my children, I would think, where is the rest of the world? Right. Where are they? Why are we here by ourselves? And so I think, and I I, I'm, I still feel like that to a certain extent. Um, I was listening to Anne-Marie Slaughter, who is famous for her Women Can't Have It All um, piece she wrote in the Atlantic a couple of years ago about the work-life family balance when most people know her name, but is actually a foreign policy expert and worked for the, sec- the Secretary of State um, when, the sec- when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. And, you know, she said, basically, this was wholly and completely predictable. We should have instituted a no-fly zone um, to at least prevent the delivery of further weapons into Syria and to prevent um, Assad from doing what he did, which was attacking his own people. I mean, it's not that simple anymore. We basically don't have a rebel group to support that aligns with our interests. Um, Russia was at, at a certain point claiming it was defeating, defending Assad by bombing these rebel groups or by bombing, um, yeah, bombing the rebel groups, but was actually bombing ISIS, I think. And so I, I think you're right. I think part of the, a huge piece of this puzzle is it feels like to me that it's a lot of chess between Russia and the United States with, with hundreds of thousands of lives in the balance. And, you know, I, I heard somebody describe today Putin's, uh, you know, approach to the world is basically like, we need autocrats there. We need autocratic dictators like Assad, like Saddam Hussein, like Muammar Gaddafi. That's how you keep the um, region in check. I don't obviously don't agree with that, but you know, I think it, <clears throat> when, it, when we go in and we try to take those people out, it doesn't lead anywhere good either, which is, I think the point that you're making, it just, it's complicated. We can't just go in and put in somebody else. We can't take in somebody, take out somebody else and support rebel groups. I mean, I don't really know the answer except for when we get involved, we never make it better. Well, and I think part of what we're seeing now is we also get involved and that's as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. We haven't committed to anything like the dialogue that you and I had on your blog about our 
intervention in Syria um, is kind of what you've seen this administration work through. It's like they're thinking out loud, right? We don't want to do this, but we have to do something. Okay, so let's do as little as possible. And 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 why I understand, like... I mean, I understand it. I don't agree with it. It did not make me feel better when George W. Bush came out on 9-11 and said, they're going to hear us. It did not make me feel better. It disgusted me personally. But I do understand that instinct. And I do understand that everybody wants President Obama to stand up right now and say, and do what President Hollande said and did and say, we're just going, you know, we're at war and we're going to bomb them into oblivion. Like, I get that instinct. But how many times do we have to learn that it doesn't really work that well? And I have so much respect for President Obama standing up and saying, like, I'm sorry that I am not giving you everyone the answer that they want to hear, but th- there is no easy answer here, and I'm not going to pretend like there is. Yeah, it's just he does have to have some kind of answer, though. You know, Mark Halperin said this morning on a show that I was watching there's only one president of the United States, and sometimes the world needs that president of the United States to make everyone feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you know, we're, we're referring a little bit, I think, to President Obama's comments at the G20, mm-hmm. um, where he, he was, I mean, he just seemed really angry. Um, well, I think what had happened is that he had explained him, he explained himself two times, like he'd gone into depth into his strategy with regards to ISIS. Now, he does have things to answer. He should have obviously never said that thing about them being the JV team. Although, I mean, I guess I get where he was coming from. They branched off from Al-Qaeda. But this JV team has has uh, gone off the rails. It's no longer a JV team. Right. And so he needs to just say, I sh- you know, at the time that felt accurate. I shouldn't have been flipping about it. I mean, I don't know if he needs to apologize those works or not, but I understand why people are reacting to that. But it seemed, from what I could tell, is that he'd said in detail his approach, and then the guy, who I believe is from Fox News... Here's where I insert my snarky partisan surprise surprise. (laughs) Um, And he was trying to do a gotcha. Like, why don't we just go get the bastards? That's not a real question. That's not an intellectual, thoughtful approach at the G20. Why don't we just go get the bastards? Like, even if we're all feeling that, even if we want to hear him say that, like, he was trying to do gotcha. And I think President Obama was like, ugh, I just answered. I've been thoughtful in my answers for, like, 15 minutes here. And you're trying to get, I know who you're from. I know you're just trying to get me in a gotcha answer. I think that was his frustration. At least that's what I picked up on. At the same time, though, like, you can't approach a discussion about this many people who were killed on a Friday night Mm -hmm. um, in the same kind of intellectual tone that you would use to discuss, I don't know, nuclear theory in a college classroom. And he he has it in him. I mean, like, you heard him when um, that he, I mean, he could pull out his, like, Seri- like seriously serious preacher emotional voice when he did it after the last shooting where he was like I'm done we can't do anything nobody cares like you know he just was it you could tell he was angry and he at- needed some of that mm-hmm. at the G20 and he needed that to be directed not toward a reporter um, but toward the situation I- I'm sorry no one feels better hearing that we're going to keep doing what we're doing, doing. but we're going to intensify it. Like that's a terrible word. Like, do you feel comforted at all by the idea of the intensification of our current strategy, which seems to be arming insurgents to the tune of less than 20 people um, 
millions of dollars spent on airstrikes, sometimes for the people who are supposed to drop those bombs just coming back, not having deployed the bombs. I mean, what are we doing here? And there, I think there, I think there are legitimate questions about the White House's leadership on this. And, and I'm a person who said we should not intervene. Um, but today, I, mean, I, I feel differently is, about that. I think the only thing that you can say without it, I mean, this president is the one campaign promise that he has kept, you know, definitively and not switched on, is he does not want us involved in the Middle East. He doesn't you know, want it, but he's got it, whether he yeah. wants it or not. And it's not something that's going to go away. Also, and- I do think that there's something to be said for I, I think that as with every human being on the planet, his opinions and approach are colored by his personal experience. And this is a person who lived abroad. This is a person who, lit, who I think, arguably better than many of our other presidents, you know, understands the rest of the world. And I know, you know, I can, I know he seems cerebral sometimes and he's not always his best advocate, but I am strangely comforted by somebody who's, who doesn't come up and come out and say, you know, we have to keep our heads. I, I mean, I love Paris. <laughs> I was terrified that night. It was so scary and it's so awful what happened in France and people died and that's awful. And ISIS is so, so scary, but the more I read about them, the more I think that if he comes out guns blazing, we're going to play right into all of their recruitment techniques, all of their philosophies and religious ideology. I I just think, you know, sometimes the right answer isn't comforting. And sometimes the right answer doesn't make a great soundbite. And I don't know. that I, The complexity of it all actually does strangely comfort me. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. 
an extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing. I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Well, speaking of playing into ISIS's hand, I, I think, you know, I, I've had critical words for the president. I have them for the Republican Party as well. Mm. These governors and their reaction to Syrian refugees in light of this crisis, this makes me sick. Just stop. It's not you don't even have any legal room to stand on. What are you even doing? So to rewind a little bit, the United States agreed to accept a very small number relative to Europe of Syrian refugees. And again, these are people who have been displaced by al-Assad and the, Syri- the Syrian civil war. Um, and in light of the attacks on Paris, you know, everybody's uncle on Facebook, I guess, has come out to say, we should not let anyone in our country. We have to vet these people. These are going to be ISIS terrorists, not legitimate Ugh. refugees. And I think it's important to say factually. Yeah, so many layers of factual. Yes. Just there's <laughs> yes. so many things going on here. Let's start factually with, with the, the actual terrorist. That the people who carried out these attacks in France were mostly French nationals. Yeah. Not, yeah, French or Belgium. Actually, can I just say, interject here, Belgium, if I'm angry at anybody, get it together. That's who I'm angry at. (laughs) I don't know what's happening in these neighborhoods that are hatching terrorist plot after terrorist plot, but figure it out. Because that's in your country and easy to control. So make it happen, Belgium. Thanks. Love, Sarah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm laughing, but, like, there's an element to all of this where, you know, I think a problem right now, a huge problem is the sharing of intelligence resources because mm-hmm. it seems like there's so much chatter and so much information that like we're just everybody's doing their own thing and you can't possibly keep up with all of it, especially when have you heard this that ISIS basically has its own help desk? I saw that, that facilitates today in an email. Yeah, and convert apparently they, conversation. A, a lot of it they were converting, um, conversing over pl- a PlayStation messaging service that that's really difficult to track. I mean, as technology improves, it's they're only it's only going to get harder. It so anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to derail. So the, I mean, definitely the first thing here is the terrorists involved in the attacks on Paris were radicalized European nationals, not Syrian refugees. So let's just start with the facts. 
They were that's the problem. Radicalization, which is not something I actually read a really great thing um, on Vox that was like that's Europeans' problems. That is a European, a distinctly European problem. They do not integrate um, immigrant populations, and for all of America's um, sometimes less than tolerant talk, we actually do a pretty good job of integrating immigrants. We don't have a particularly large amount of radicalized populations who feel, you know, we don't prevent people from wearing their religious garb like they do in France, for better or for worse. That's a thing they do and that, you know, and it doesn't help this problem of radicalization. So, I mean, that's the first thing. That's not who those people were. There was a Syrian passport found that's faked. And actually, I, I heard today that Syrian um, passports are very valuable because you can claim asylum. And so you have um, refugees from uh, Pakistan and other places. There's like a black market for Syrian passports because of the current refugee crisis and because they can, which I think is really interesting because you hear it's so hard if you're a refugee, but apparently in parts of Europe, it's easier to get through certain at least checkpoints if you have a Syrian passport. And so there's a black market for fake Syrian passports, which is what was found at the scene, but has no indication. There is no indication and has not been any indication. And all we have right now is the confirmed identities of European nationals. So unless you want to, dear governors of the South, prevent the immigration of European nationals, which, sell that one, love to hear it, shut up. Well, that's the thing. So the United States is a republic, right? There are, mm -hmm. there are rights afforded to individual states, but we are a country yeah. also. Mm -hmm. And the idea that individual states can close their territories to people no. who our country has allowed to come in, yeah. Through so the immigration a, process, that's, a fundamental that's crazy. misunderstanding of the Constitution. Lots it, of things that are, mis that are being misunderstood: the facts, the Constitution, the law. Lots of things. Well, it's just you know. So, so my belief is, I'm upset with President Obama for a half-hearted attempt to deal with the region. I'm upset with his comments at the G20. I'm upset with his tone. I am equally and perhaps more upset with these governors trying to score political points on something mm -hmm. that they know cannot happen. Mm -hmm. I am upset with candidates on the trail trying to score points with the most fringe elements of the base by Oof. talking about this as a Muslim issue. Um, you know, I just feel like shame on everyone right yeah. now. This is not about our politics in the United States, right? Yeah. It is about the entire world needs to come together against ISIS. And, and I think that's kind of how we wanted to wrap up this segment. Like what advice would we give to the president? Like, so Sarah and Beth roll into the white house, um, with our opposite, opposite perspectives on a lot of things. What is the right thing to do here? Actually, you know what? I have a, I have a perspective on this and let me ask you this. So you've said, I mean, I have a feeling I know what your answer is. And I, you said, you know, you disagree with his tone and his approach. But what really bothers me about the discussion with regards to the the Syrian refugees and the approach to ISIS is what I hear a lot on Facebook is that this is either some port. I heard somebody say this is, you know, this is just a conspiracy to get immigrants over here and get them in the welfare system so we have more taxes and, you know, this liberal, these liberal radicals have more votes. What? I don't, what? Oh. Or, you know, like, what? No, I don't even, I'm so, I'm, I'm really having trouble following your logic. And also, but what bothers me is the idea that President Obama doesn't want us to be safe. Or President Obama 
doesn't want what's best for America. You know, like, I didn't like George Bush. I really didn't. And I really didn't agree with his approach to our safety after 9-11. But I never doubted that he wanted us to be safe. You know, so I don't understand. Like, can't we just start from the, can we start from people that we disagree with are still human beings that have the same, you know, interest that we do, which is protecting our country and being good global citizens of the world. Like, I, that's what bothers me. Like, I feel like, can we trust that if you and I came in and made our cases and I said, hey, you know what, I don't think we should get involved. Or if we made the opposite cases where we were for that President Obama is an intelligent person invested in the future of this country and would do what he would think is best, even if it wasn't the decision you would make. Like, can we just, I just, I think it might be a lost cause, but it really bothers me. Like, Really, do we have to depend on conspiracy theories? We can't just believe in the man's humanity and go forth from there? I don't even know how to respond to some of that. You know, look, anybody who serves in the White House, in my opinion, has to be a patriot. Yes. And a thoughtful, smart person who is willing to go through, let's face it, a miserable, miserable 10 years, you know, to get through two terms and two elections. I mean, I, yes, I think we can. So we'll start with one. We presume good intent by our Mm -hmm. leadership, even Mm -hmm. where we disagree. And, and I do think, I totally agree with you. The reason he seems so cerebral is he is thinking out loud. He is grappling with these issues. He does take it seriously. He knows it's not simple. There is a lot I appreciate about that, but there's also, I think a space and a time for, clear communication and and the need to comfort people with some decisive action. So um, I will say that my advice um, after you sent me a really great which we'll post in our show notes and on Facebook What ISIS Really Wants in the Atlantic by Graham Wood. Um, a really great article in which you know I learned a lot about ISIS and particularly that this um, the idea that they need actual territory in order to have a caliphate which is kind of the fundamental of their entire religious theology so i guess my my approach would be let's line up international report support and at least remove you know remove their territory if they don't have any actual space or actual land on which to to claim their islamic state if we send them on the run then that's got to undermine them to a great degree do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable Traditionally, the advice would be pick one. But thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ugh, ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka bra Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code podcast 15 that's code podcast 15 tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news 
Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that requires unfortunately, U.S. ground troops. And I don't want to use the expression boots on the ground because these are people that, like Uh I am saying, that are brothers, sisters, husbands, fathers, mothers. We are going to have to send people we love to that region to fight this battle. I don't see a way around that. And I hate it. Yeah, I heard somebody say the other day, like, you don't don't defeat terrorism from 30,000 feet in the air. It just doesn't happen that way. So I think dealing with the actual, the caliphate is, is the only approach and doing that with a coalition and what Russia's role in that is, I have no idea. And I leave that to people a lot smarter than me to sort through. Um, The other thing that I would say is this is in many ways a battle of ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to talk about that as a religious issue because I I think that's not helpful or productive. Um, I don't deny that. ISIS is based on a, a very radicalized version of Islam. And literal, um, a very literal version of yes, Islam. Yes, yes. I mean, and and there are lots of religions that if you took literally and in a radicalized way would get pretty scary. Mm-hmm. So let's just be there. Um, but I think the recruitment of people to ISIS should be countered with an international recruitment effort for productive contributions to the world. You know, if people are feeling lonely and marginalized and whatever attracts someone to an organization that will eventually ask them to strap on a bomb, can we not um, sell them on the idea of being an army that fights poverty, an army that mm-hmm. surrounds refugees and takes care of them? I mean, isn't there and an listen, alternative argument And listen, there's an interesting aspect of that. In that article, he talked about the one guy that said, like, the other literal interpretation of Islam is everybody gets free healthcare and free food and free care. So I, I know that that's not a comfortable thing to understand that ISIS might be selling not just jihad, but things that appeal to people, but they clearly are. Yes. And we need to figure out what they are. And like you said, have something else that appeals. And I think on a patriotic note that when people, when the reason we don't have a radicalized, um, a radicalization problem that Europe has is because we we do that pretty well. We have something really great to sell when people get over here. You know, I think that America is very, very far from perfect, very far from perfect. But I do think that we have, you know, the American dream for all its faults and for all its um, sometimes brokenness. It, it it has an appeal and it does work for thousands and thousands of people who come over and try to make a better life here every year. Fundamentally, I think there is a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. as, as American citizens. And, Mm -hmm. and that's true even for groups that struggle in, in American society. And Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I mean, I think that you have to combat this not only with military force, but also with, I mean, ISIS doesn't own social media, Like, Mm -hmm. this coalition should get together and recruit just as hard um, 
let's radicalize people on the peace side of things. You know, I, I've seen people on Facebook. So, so there are kind of two camps, right? It seems like there are the people who say no refugees in the country. And then there are the people who are like peace, love and harmony for everyone, you know, (laughs) and, and both seem a little out there, but I think it's, I think it's a combination of military force and diplomacy. I don't think ISIS and it can, can be, be defeated done. I mean, to... at a negotiating table. No. But I think I think there is a role for something other than military force in this situation. And it can happen. I mean, I think that in, to go back to my beloved Tunisia, I mean, it's it, it's happening there. They've had really terrible terror attacks, but in the face of that, they are continuing on and they're having elections and they're moving. They were the start of the Arab summer. And I think that they're arguably the most successful um, still participant in this kind of um, revolution that's sweeping through the Arab world. And so it can be done. And I think that, you know, that, but people, it can't just all come from the outside either. I mean, I think that they're a perfect example of that, that it's within these communities and there are people right there working that for the, those causes absolutely and having some success so well, i think that's a go ahead no i was going to wrap up so what do you what do you yeah i think that, that's what i was going to say so i think <laughs> that that is a um a good ending we will wrap up the suit and share some things that are making us happy this week in the heels So, Beth, I feel like this week um, the things that have been making me happy are I feel like I'm either posting super serious foreign policy things on Facebook or super silly um, fun things, and they are both extremes. But, hey, I guess that's the way life rolls. Sometimes. So my super happy thing right now is that the Dixie Chicks are going back on tour. Yes. I'm Cowboy, so take me away. I'm so um, excited. <laughs> I am Already, I have already purchased tickets to two different concerts. <laughs> I am going to see them in Chicago with my best friend from law school, and I'm going to see them in Nashville with Nicholas. I've seen the Dixie Chicks four times. This will be my fifth and sixth time. Um, I would have gone more, but Nicholas was like, "Be reasonable." Um, I'm so excited. And then again, another fun thing I saw today is that Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are co-hosting Saturday Night Live together. Oh, I love that. Which really does seem like a gift to the universe. It is a Christmas present for all of us. Yeah, it's just like the the universe is like, here you go, have some joy. Well, so my um, segment for the Heels this week is equally kind of trivial, but I just need to take a minute to say how much I love my crock pot and how I would die <laughs> without it. In the winter, too. Oh, In the winter mm-hmm. with two small children and two people working all the time. Um, and so here's what I discovered, and I don't know where this has been all my life. Did you know that you can put a couple of chicken breasts in your crock pot and cover them with salsa yeah. and just let that simmer and you have the most perfect shredded chicken ever yeah. for tacos or omelets or whatever? I learned that from my friend Whitney. She's big on that. I, like... Just discovered that this year, and I hate myself that I didn't know before now. I feel like I've been depriving us of easy and delicious, juicy chicken. So, yay for my crock pot. I love it. Well, and guess what I just read? There's a crock pot now, like a Wi-Fi crock pot, so you can turn it on from, like, your phone at work. 
So I need that, and then I need, like, a couple of different sections of the Crock-Pot so that I can have different things going on yeah. at the same time. I thought the Wi-Fi, because that's, Nicholas's issue is always, like, I can't turn it on at the beginning of the day because it was too dry, so he'll, like, come home and turn it off for, on for lunch or whatever, but I thought, oh, that's brilliant, so you could just turn it on so it doesn't get overcooked, it's the Wi-Fi. So good. I'm really into this smart home thing. I've got a segment coming up on that on um, our local morning show. I've been trying out the smart light bulbs and the oh, smart love it. thermostat. It's amazing. It's like I live in the Jetsons. Well, I will say just a quick, like not to add another thing, but the Nest. Oh, I love the Nest. It's amazing. It's ama- Maybe we should do a whole um, heels on smart home technology. I day. love that. Let's do it. Well, so we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Pantsuit Politics. I know we covered some heavy topics, but that's what's happening in the world right now. And, you know, I'm thankful that we live in the United States where two women can have this discussion. Amen. Um, So we would love whatever side of the political spectrum you're on to continue the conversation with you on Facebook and Twitter and tell us what you'd like to hear more of. And we'll see you for our next episode. And please help us out by rating and reviewing our show on iTunes. It helps other people discover Pantsuit Politics. Uh, as always, thank you to Nicholas Holland for producing our podcast. And our intro and interstitial and outro music is Fourth and Starlight Road Instrumental by Menden and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 International License.